0: well good morning church welcome to youth takeover i mean student sunday um hey today today is a special occasion um, and you know it's a special occasion because i have my special occasion socks on i wore these at my wedding so they're kind of a big deal um hey well i am i am honored and blessed to be sharing with you this morning Uh, ev free for me has really been a home for many years i've i've grown up here at this church i have burn marks on the back of my legs from the slides that they used to have in the playground like they're metal hot and like sun hits it you're dead sort of i've got a bump on my head from when i got hit by that tire swing that used to be there and I've knocked down my fair share of ceiling tiles, so yeah, um, Evie Free's home for me, and uh, I even uh, met my wife here, so we've, we've gone to the same elementary school, but we've grown up here together at the same church, and we've been dating, we dated for like seven years before we got married all through high school, but this is a very special place to me, I have a photo of my wife, just, I mean, whew, right, so great. Her name is Becca. She's awesome. Um, we don't have any kids, but we do have a couple pets. I have my dog, Scout. Uh, adorable, right? Not as cute as my wife, but she's still pretty cute. Her name actually is Scout, and that's just a coffee mug that's ironically the same name. Um, she's really great. She's a rescue dog. We picked her up from the pound a couple years ago. And we also have a cat named Lady, uh, but she hides under our bed and pees on my clothes, so she doesn't get a photo. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. but um, Evie Free's home, and I'm, I'm honored to be sharing with you. And, and part of the reason I'm honored is because many of you have invested and prayed for and, and saw hope in our youth, and it's because of your prayers and your care for the, for the young people in our church that I get to be here today, that I get to share with you what we feel like God is doing in our youth ministry, that I'm even here um, and so this morning as we were trying to think about what we wanted to share with our congregation, we wanted it to be a mix of an encouragement for you and also a way of highlighting some of the things that God's been doing in our youth. And so what we, what we kept bringing, being brought back to is this idea of sharing about God's kingdom and more specifically our mission as God's people. And so we're going to end in Matthew chapter 5, which is... This idea we're talking about how we, be, how we as the children and people of God be salt and light in the world that we live in. But in order to get there, we need to start in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 19. And if you don't, it'll be on the screen. But I mean, use your Bible. Um, <laughs> so Exodus 19, Moses has just led the Israelites out of slavery from the land of Egypt. And so he's led them out of slavery and he brings them to this place called Mount Sinai. And in chapter 20, just one chapter later, he's going to give to them the 10 commandments. God is going to speak through Moses and give the people of Israel the 10 commandments, which we can sort of view as this kind of guideline for how the people of God are supposed to be the people of God. But before he gives them these 10 commandments, he speaks over them their identity and reminds them of who they are. And it's pretty unique. So let's read this in Exodus 19, verse three. Then Moses went up to God And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured, treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so what's significant here? is that God is telling the nation of Israel that they're going to be a kingdom of priests. And now priests' role in that ancient context was to sort of serve as a mediator between God's presence and man's presence. So a priest would perform rituals and sacrifices to allow man to be in the presence of God. And so the connotation of a nation of priests is that the nation's responsibility was to put God on display, and so right from the get-go, the mission of the people of Israel was never just about the people of Israel. God's heart has always been for others to come to him and for others to know him. And their role was uniquely to be the mediators of God's presence with the world. And so the prophet Isaiah, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 42, the prophet Isaiah kind of expands on this idea of how Israel is supposed to be. He says this in verse forty-two, or in chapter 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand and I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. So he speaks over them and says that Israel is meant to be a light for the Gentiles. And Gentiles here is just anyone that is not Jewish, anyone who's not of the people of Israel. They're meant to be a light for them, to show them and highlight who God is. And later on in Isaiah chapter 60, he speaks this over them. He says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, the darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And so Israel's mission was always to be a light for the nation. They were to be God's people set apart and distinct, but always to be a light for other people, to show people who God is. And so we get to to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's going to deliver what what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is very similar to the Ten Commandments. It's kind of this manifesto for Jesus' new kingdom, where he's going to tell the people who he's talking to, his disciples, how they are to live as citizens of Jesus' new kingdom. And in the similar fashion, he reminds them of their identity, just like Moses did. And so let's read this together in Matthew chapter five. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And Jesus also says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So we see here that Jesus is speaking over his new disciples, their mission, their role, how they're supposed to act as new people of God. And the first thing he says is salt and light. And when he, I just want to jump really quickly to this idea of light, because this is Jesus giving a direct nod to the original mission of the people of Israel. And right off the bat, we see that God is not a God who has changed. This is the same God, the same mission of the people of the Israel to be a light. To highlight who God is and show people who God is, is the same mission of us, the same mission that we as a church carry today, to be a light. And now, when I think of light, my first kind of mental picture I get to is from Lord of the Rings. Has anyone seen Lord of the Rings? Yes, a couple of you, a couple of, yeah, that's great. I love Lord of the Rings. It's like the only thing that was on TBS when I was in junior high, and so I watched like Two Towers every single night, and it was, I mean, I could quote the whole movie. I'm not going to, because it's a long movie. Um... But I love it. So there's this picture of light invading into darkness that I think is just so profound. And so there's this character, Gandalf, who's this kind of, he's called Gandalf the White now in the Two Towers, and he's this epitome of pureness, and he brings reinforcements to this battle, and he's on top of this hill, and he's just about to come over and bring reinforcements and destroy these orcs who are kind of the epitome of darkness. And as he comes down, he comes with the dawn, and it's this blinding light that just comes in and obliterates this darkness. And so my picture of what light does is kind of like that. I think, okay, my mission as a person of God is to bring God's truth into these dark places. But sometimes I think we forget that that is the work of Christ. That is the work that Jesus did. When he died on the cross, the, what he did is he brought light into the darkness and made no room for it. But what Jesus is calling us to in Matthew chapter 5 is a little bit different. And so I think often what happens when we try to come in with that intensity and say, okay, let me reveal to you truth, let me reveal to you light, what ends up happening is something similar to when you wake someone up in the middle of the night by turning the lights on. So we, uh, we do an event in junior high every once in a while called Midnight Madness. And so a couple years ago we did it and we said, okay, it's probably a good idea to not keep the kids up. All night, maybe we'll give them a two-hour nap. And so we decided to give them a two-hour nap. We put a movie on, turn all the lights off, and then at like 3 a.m. we flipped the lights on. What did every kid do? They all had their sleeping bags. They just instantly covered up, just immediately. And so often what happens when people are struck with truth too quickly and when they're not ready for it, they just recoil from it. When I was, um, I'm like notorious for being late, for like missing my alarm clock, Um, On my first day of work here three years ago, um, we were supposed to go to this conference and I missed my alarm clock. I was still living at home and I'm woken up to my boss, Joel Elwood, knocking on the door saying, Cody, it's time to go to work. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. My boss is here. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm, like, like, getting ready, like, in my pajamas and my boss is in my bedroom. It's a really weird thing. <laughs> but that was, that's, like, how it was for me. Like, I, my, my family can attest that my mom has this habit of just coming in and waking us up because most of us sleep through our alarms. But no, all throughout high school, she would just burst into the room, you're late for school, I'm like, oh no, and I just cover myself back up because I don't want to get in. But sometimes when we try to bring people truth, to bring people light, we do it aggressively. And we forget that the role that Jesus has called us to be is not necessarily this blinding, let me reveal truth to you and hit you over the head with the Bible kind of truth. It's a little different than that. It's kind of like when a child wakes up in the in the darkness and they're scared, but they know that there's a night light in the hallway. And so they know that if they follow that light, they can be led to their parents and be comforted. And so I think that's probably a better picture of the light that we as Christians are supposed to exemplify. And so Jesus even says, like, you're, you're a city set upon a hill and it can't be hidden. So this imagery is kind of like a traveler who's traveling at night and they're looking for a safe place to rest because it's dangerous and dark. And they see the light from the city on the hill and they go towards it. And so part of our role as Christians is to reveal truth. But the way that we reveal truth is in the way that we live. We live and exemplify and bring light to other people when we exhibit characteristics of Jesus, when we exhibit his love, his goodness, his honesty, his integrity, every way that we live, everything that we do from the honesty and integrity that we manifest in our workplace to the honesty and integrity and love that we show to others in our family is meant to be a light to draw people in. Just like the the city set on the hill, it's meant to draw people in. And I think to some degree as Christians, as followers, we get this. And a lot of our students kind of understand this idea that the way that we live our life is meant to draw people in. But sometimes we just stop there. We go, okay, I can just it's gonna be me and Jesus, and we can all learn about him, and I'll just I'll just be a good person, and people are gonna know, and they're gonna know, okay, cool, that's why they're different, and now I want to do that. And that is true. There there's a huge truth to that, that the way we live our life will draw people into us. But Jesus speaks over them something that I think the original Israelites missed. That it's not just this, you live your life this way and people will come. It's not like the field of dreams where if you build it, they will come. It's a little more complicated than that. It's a little more active. So that's kind of like our passive state that we always exist in. We always exist as being lights. We're called to do that. And we want to teach our students and we wanna encourage you that wherever you are, you are a light for Jesus. And you are meant to live in such a way that people are drawn to you, that they see something different about you and are drawn into that. But even more so, Jesus, repeat, Jesus starts off by saying you are the salt of the earth. And he, he emphasizes this in such a way by saying if it's lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing and needs to be thrown out. As if to say, if you miss this portion of your mission, you've missed it completely. Salt is this thing in the, in the first century where it had a variety of uses. And so we can look at salt just from our own context and say, okay, like salt generally just makes things better, right? If guacamole kind of sucks sometimes, you just you put a little salt in it, it makes it better uh i made this pasta for my wife um about a year ago and i don't i mean i i do a decent amount of cooking and we didn't have any salt in our house and i, I was like super proud of this thing and then we started tasting it and it was just like it's not good and she smiled and she told me she loved me and she's like no it's fine like it's it's okay it's all right but i could tell like it was just miserable it was a it was a bad pasta. But I, for some reason, I saved leftovers because I was like, that's a good idea to eat something gross and we're poor and we don't have a ton of money. So I saved leftovers and I brought it to lunch the next day. And we were at this restaurant and I was able to put some salt on it just to add a little bit of salt and give some flavor. And it was literally like night and day between how it was. Salt enhanced it and made it better. Like Gordon Ramsay would have been proud of this pasta that I made. And I did, all I did was add salt. And so part of our role as Christians is to take hold of this idea that we need to actively look for ways in which we can enhance the lives and the things around us. In a similar way that salt enhances and makes things better. But in this context, salt, is, salt has been used as a preservative. And so they would put salt on fish to kind of save it. They would put salt on things to, to save it and make it last, make the good things that they want to keep from, go, from dying go and last. And so part of our role is to, to look at the things that we can preserve The things that we can say, okay, this is a good thing. How can I preserve this? And then lastly, salt was used as a fertilizer. So in some contexts, they would put a little bit of salt in with the plants and it would help it grow. But the interesting part about salt is that too much salt will make you sick, right? If you take a spoonful of salt, you will throw up. Like salt in one spot is just not how it works. It's meant to be spread out. And so the idea for all of us is that we are to take this mission of God and say, okay, I need to to not just look inwardly, I need to look outwardly and see how I can go and enhance the lives of those around me and make things better and preserve the good things and bring life to those around me. And we combine this with the idea of light. We're supposed to exhibit characteristics of Jesus with honesty and love and integrity and humility and look for ways in which we can enhance the things around us. And so I think this is something that we, we generally understand and something that we teach often to for our students, that our role is to be a light in this dark world. But it involves and encompasses us being active in the way in which we do that. Um, but there, there are many like nuances and like, we could spend all day talking about, well, what about this situation? What about this situation? What do I do in this? And I think generally speaking, the answer to all of that is that we just need to listen. We need to listen to see how God has directed us how God has called us to be salt and light. And so there is an entire 66 book right here, volume, that just shows us every situation in which we're supposed to be salt and light. Jesus lays out the types of people we're supposed to go after. Jesus himself demonstrated the type of people we're supposed to be salt and light to. And then in the, in the, in the epistles and all the works afterwards, Jesus and the apostles are talking about how we are supposed to be salt and light. But it starts with listening. And God speaks very clearly through his book on how we were supposed to do this. And so we want to encourage you with that, to think about the ways in which you can take this idea that the way you live is meant to be what shows people who God is. And it's not this beat them over the head with the Bible truth that's going to like cause them to shun away. It's, it's this, I'm going to live my life in such a way that it's attractive for other people. They see God and they say, I want what you have. Something interesting about salt is that it also makes people thirsty, and you have salt and too much, and you have enough of salt, you, you just want water. And so we want people to see what we have, to live in such a way that people go, I want what you have. And Jesus himself says that he is, a, is like a spring of living water, and when people come to him, they're satisfied. And that's the way that we're supposed to live. That's the way that we live our lives. And we do this specifically by just listening to how God has called us to live. And so we wanted to not only encourage you, but we also wanted to give you a story of one of our students who we think has just done a really good job of listening. And so would you welcome up for me uh, Caleb and Kelsey as they come to share about their life. Thanks, Cody.